Good morning, everyone. It's uh, always wonderful to see such a large crowd so early uh, for a talk around healthcare and health systems. Uh, I'm Brian Golden. I'm the Vice Dean of our MBA programs here at the Rothman School. And uh, just really pleased uh, that you're joining us this morning. This is always an exciting time, early fall at the Rothman School. And uh, even though we started a couple of minutes late, that was not entirely intentional, but it gave you an opportunity to read a little bit about one of our new programs, which I think many in this room are, uh, will be interested in. This is our Global Executive MBA in Healthcare and Life Sciences, which uh, in the spirit of today's talk, yeah, examines the best ways of organizing health systems, uh, not just in Canada, but across the globe. So for those who are interested, uh, please follow up with us. But we're excited we'll be welcoming our second cohort in a couple of weeks. And we travel across the globe to study best systems. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I want to introduce our, um, uh, our host today, or our uh, facilitator, speaker, Jodine Goldharp. Uh, Jodine is, uh, I'd like to say, a proud uh, graduate of our Advanced Health Leadership Program. I hope she's proud of that. Uh, she's the Executive Lead of Strategy and Innovation for the Change Foundation. Uh, for those of you who know Jodine, she takes great pleasure in convening the most interesting conversations about best healthcare systems, the best way of organizing. And uh, with that, I will get off the stage and allow uh, Jodine to introduce all of our speakers as uh, she wishes. So Jodine, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be here. I want to thank uh, Brian and the Rotman team. I am a proud graduate of the Advanced Health Leadership Program. It was an opportunity to take some space and time to reflect on how we can each uh, bring our greatest value to advance positive change in healthcare. And for me, I realized during that process that uh, the opportunity to bring people together so we could work in shared purpose was one of the greatest opportunities to realize the potential of improvement in healthcare. And uh, the opportunity to realize the potential of integrated care is one of the most important opportunities upon all of us not just in Ontario, in Canada, across North America, but around the globe. I want to thank um, Longwoods, Matt and Rebecca, because the space that they convene to help us learn from each other and be part of a community that helps advance positive health and social change uh, is really incredible. And I know the four of us are incredibly proud to be on this stage uh, under the Longwoods brand. So thank you. Um, I am Jodine, as Brian said, and I am part of the team at the Change Foundation under Kathy Fuchs' leadership, and Kathy is in the audience today. Uh, Kathy's vision for the Change Foundation has always been that we are a backbone or an organization that helps support others to achieve their goals, individuals, teams, communities, and systems. And so we work hyper-locally across health and community care and we partner with patients, clients, and caregivers to realize the potential of change. And along with the Change Foundation, uh, we have partnered with the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation, the Dalyana School of Public Health, to launch the International Foundation for Integrated Care in Canada, which is the first North American center on integrated care. And the reason that we have done this is because we want to convene all of us anyone interested in or working in the space of integrated care to learn from each other. Ironically, integrated care is often siloed from each other. So we know the reason integrated care is so important, because our health systems weren't necessarily designed to work collaboratively. We have independent organizations that haven't always come together in shared purpose across community, across clinicians, across organizations. And so the idea to come together and share purpose is a unique opportunity, and it is a particular passion of ours. One of the things when you look around the world is that we know why to do integrated care, to break down the silos, to work together in shared purpose, to realize the potential of our health systems. But how? How is the most important piece? And that is a journey we are all on, evolutionary journey. 
How do we realize the potential, but how do we work together to drive system improvement? And that's what today's conversation is about. It is really focused on the how. Tony is the interim CEO and head of programs for the International Foundation for Integrated Care, which brings together all the countries around the world that are driving improvement through integrated care to learn from each other and for us to be able to join in the social movement for change. And he's going to take us on a global tour and key lessons. Eileen. I'll introduce more of Eileen after, but Eileen has partnered as a patient, as a caregiver, and as a professional working in the health system around how to realize the potential of integrated care by sharing power around decision making and advancing improvement in partnership. And Walter? Well, Walter leads uh, a lot of evaluation around integrated models of care and has developed a cadre of expertise and teams to look at what are the most efficient and effective ways for us to truly understand what works around integrated care and how do we share that knowledge across others. Walter has developed a team that is starting to be seen globally as one of the greatest bent strengths around how to understand integrated care. And so I'm proud to be here in partnership with the entire team. I want to start by setting a little context around what is the International Foundation for Integrated Care Canada. We have launched this as a way to connect up folks across North America who are involved in integrated care to learn from each other. One of the most important things and one of the values that is embedded as part of this is that patients clients, citizens, caregivers, which are friends and family, are partnering in co-designing what is most important to embed as part of IFIC Canada and are co-designing and co-delivering and co-attending all streams of IFIC Canada. To start, IFIC Canada has three areas of strategic focus. The first is, and I believe it's the first in the world, um, is we have designed and developed the IFIC Virtual Collaborative. The IFIC Virtual Collaborative is not a webinar. It is not a one-way communication to share information about integration. It is a space to help seed a social movement in North America, to bring people together who are involved in integrated care, no matter your lens, policy, funding, research, organizational leadership, clinician, volunteer, patient, client, caregiver, all together in shared purpose to learn about integrated care. Currently, we have 1,400 people across North America plus 14 other countries who are participating, learning from each other and asking the community itself, what do you want to learn about? One of the first areas people wanted to be connected was around co-design, how to partner with clients, patients, and their families to realize the potential of integrated care. The next session was on how do we join up in shared partnership with primary care. And the next one is around the virtualization and digital health of care. Everybody is welcome to join. It is free. And we are trying to democratize the idea that we all have equal access to information, learning, and resources. The second, under Walter Watches' leadership and Dr. Ross Baker, is we are going to be establishing a call in the next two months for case studies around North America. The Commonwealth, which works across the world, started to develop a number of global case studies on integrated care. And we want to add to a full integrated sight line of models around the world. And so we will be doing a call out to North America, look at emerging practices, that have great potential and established practices. And at the heart of these case studies, we'll be looking at where the partnership with patients, clients, and caregivers have helped realize the potential of integrated care. And finally, in celebration of a year out from today, we are hosting the first IFIC, International Foundation for Integrated Care Conference in North America, the first. And you'll hear more about the conferences when Tony speaks. But 
IFIC hosts international conferences all over the world. 60 countries are generally represented with over 1,400 people, and all are coming to North America, where we can learn from each other, and we can learn from people across the world. So we are very excited, and we have established this as a way to bring us together in collective to help realize the potential of integrated care. So let's do a global tour, and I would like to welcome Tony. Tony is in Toronto from Oxford. The International Foundation for Integrated Care runs out of Oxford, but connects up people all over the world, and we are going to do a global tour of integrated care. Tony. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Jodine. I'm really, really pleased to be here. So I started uh, my, my journey in, in Canada. I started in Vancouver, and it was an exciting uh, program that we were uh, running there uh, about uh, engaging communities, in, in, uh, communities and people together. So well, now I'm here, and Jodine has been talking about uh, IFIC, and International Foundation for Integrated Care, and, and, and uh, IFIC Canada. So I'm going to, to have a little bit of a, a journey or history about uh, the background of IFIC. There are lots of acronyms here you can see. One is the, the most important one is IJIC. IJIC is, uh, stands for the International Journal for Integrated Care. And I invite you to, 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 to go to online and to read because this is, the, is a peer-reviewed uh, journal and open access, so all the information that's peer-reviewed in integrated care is, uh, is in this journal. So um, the journal started in the year 2000. So, and then you can see that there is another acronym, INIC. And then as a result of the journal, there was the need to create a network. So people were interested in this topic. And, and three uh, Dutch universities launched a, a network uh, um, uh, the International Network of Integrated Care. And the, the reason of that, uh, it was because the, the journal, as the, the keystone that, that mobilized this movement, uh, needed to create a sort of a space to debate. But the, the network, uh, an informal network, wasn't enough. And then is when the foundation came. And it, the foundation was established in the year 2011. Uh, we moved the, the, the administrative office from the Netherlands to, uh, to Oxford in the UK, and now is where we are based, as, as uh, Jodine said. So this is our history. But why there is the need to create this movement? So we've gotten a hypothesis. The hypothesis for integrated care is that it can contribute to meeting the quadruple aim, goal, in health and care systems. And I insist the two, so health and care, and why? This is the, it comes is, a, is, a, is, a, is an evolution of the triple aim, that it's improving the user's care experience as the first one. Second, improving the health of people relations. Improving the cost effectiveness of care systems. And finally, this is the one we've introduced, is improving work-life balance of health and care providers. And ethic has got a vision. So today, our health and care systems are fragmented. Actually, said, this is centered, difficult to navigate, and do not consider the whole person. As a result, too many people experience poor quality of care, often in the wrong settings with unrealizable uh, outcomes. So, ethics vision, ethics vision is that people, families, and communities benefit from person-centered integrated care and support to maximize their health, well-being, and independence. I'm open to improve this vision with all of you. So, um, because EFIC is a network of 2,000 people, uh, 20,000 people all over the world, 20,000 people are connected with us. So, and this is, and you are, from now on, part of this network. You are very welcome. So, and what's our mission? And this is why our mission. As the leading international voice in integrated care, we inspire, influence, and facilitate the adoption of integrated care in policy and in practice around the world. And we've got a portfolio. We are working on the advancements of science, and this is why 20, uh, 20 years ago, 
the journal was launched, so we needed to create a base of science, evidence that uh, integrated care, it has some impact into the citizens, the persons, and to the society. We try to promote and sharing of knowledge. This is why we are establishing and developing hubs all over the world. And finally, and this is the, as the result of this, that we can prove evidence, we are, uh, the, the science is, uh, is evolving. We are in a position to support and implement uh, and adopt integrated care. So we are assessing some governments. Uh, in this case, so I would like to announce from the uh, Egypt perspective, the International Journal of Integrated Care, that we are going to launch a call for papers on person-driven uh, care. So uh, the submission deadline will be in 31st of March, and 2 and 20. So um, I think the launch for call, uh, the call for launch uh, for papers will be uh, launched uh, next week if all goes well. So I invite all of you to to submit because it will be a special edition on that. Then we run international conferences. We've got research and development uh, research and development faculty. We uh, we've got the Inter integrated care academy. So we do education and training. Some, some of them are bespoke uh, courses. Some of them we run summer schools, normally in Oxford, so you are also invited. I must say that the, 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 uh, the people who come from most, I, the, the, the Canadians are the ones that come most to the summer school. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I don't know if some of you, you've been there. So it's an exciting, thank you. Yes, I think it was a great experience there. So, and then, uh, because of supporting and implementing and adopting integrated care, we established uh, something called integrated care solutions, and this is we provide technical assessment to governments. Uh, then there are the hubs, I'm going to talk, and then finally we've got knowledge exchange with webinars, and I would like to introduce this new concept that uh, Jodim is, is established with uh, virtual communi communities as well. So those are the hubs, all spread in the world, so uh, one of the strongest one is the Canadian one. So thanks to the, 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 the energy of lots of you, especially for Judin and Walter here. But as you can see, we are spreading all over the world and the next one will be Epic Latin America. But now I want to focus a little bit uh, uh, on the how and why are we doing this. So um, Epic created a concept of uh, building blocks, how to build integrated care, uh, uh, and what are the, um, um, the principal ingredients that you need for uh, integrated care to, to work. So I'm going to go through putting examples on that, one creating and enabling uh, a political environment for health and social care integration. I would like to, to tell you about uh, the context. The context, um, uh, we mustn't forget the WHO strategy uh, on uh, people-centered and integrated care services delivery. And the interesting thing about here is that it brings health systems, but at the same time, other sectors together, putting the person in the center, the communities, the family, in a context. And then this has influenced many governments that, uh, that integrated care should be in all policies approach. And there are many examples. Those are examples in, in the European agendas. So maybe similar to the Canadian agendas in Europe, there are, uh, in the political centers, it's about financial reform, cost containment, legislative change, structural reorganizations, personalized care, new funding streams, and pilot programs. This is what there are in the political agendas. And there are many examples in, in many countries in Europe, from the north to south to west, and sadly not enough in the east of Europe. So, and I'm going to give an example. And this is something that the political will is so important. And it happens in the Scottish government. But I'm going to refer uh, to the Christian report that I don't know how many of you have read it. Uh, that was a, um, a report on the Commission on the Future Delivery of Public Services in June 2011. And the guiding principle was effective services must be designed with and for people and communities, not delivered top-down for administrative convenience. So as a result of that, there was the, the need to uh, the different public bodies to work together. And the key element here that I want to raise is that there was an act passed by the Scottish Parliament, the public bodies working together, 
And then the second, uh, second bill, it was the, the community uh, empowerment bill. And those two elements contributed to a start of reform in, 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 in Scotland on integrating health and social care services. They started with 32 local authorities and 14 health boards merging together and creating partnerships. And, the, and they created partnerships and the, the integration included a single budget, clear outcomes, but in the process, and that's the, the, the interesting thing about that, is that firstly there was a cross-party support, so the different political parties, NHS support, local authority support, and having an agreed vision for both uh, sides, clear outcomes, and then something that's important here, and it's working there, is the bespoke strategies at each Scottish territory. Second block, and this is about competences for integrated care, and I would like you to, to revisit the, the document that's from, uh, from the WHO about uh, strengthening uh, a competent health for, workforce for the provision of, uh, of coordinated integrated health services. Thirdly, is an example of integration between health and social care, bridging the divide, and this is one of the key issues, building common values. Something happened in, in uh, I don't know if you know about uh, the, uh, the United Kingdom, in the area of the Lake District, very beautiful, not so high mountains like here. So there was a big problem, a problem that a community hospital closed, and then there was a crisis of GPs being recruited over there. So Millium Alliance that was founded uh, in 2014, and the impact of that is that the approach they had is that in 20. 2018, the whole of Cambria and Moracan Bay, 750,000 people, supported through 20 community-based alliances, were the fastest transforming integrated care system in the UK. That was because of working as equal partners with the community, resulted in improvements for healthcare locally, highly high, high signed uh, the importance of co-creation. An example quite close to here in Alberta is including the patient perspective in the facilitating continuity of health and, and at the care system. Um, supporting people's empowerment and engaging people. This is something that uh, the health system and the informal care systems, they provide services. But 80% of the self-care provision is done by persons and only 20% is done by the professionals. So this is something, a figure that's from the NHS England, that uh, the hours per professional, uh, the encounters that they've got with, with patients is three in a year as an average. But if you go to the hours of self-care, it's 8,757 in a year. So what the need, there is a need for people engagement, there is a need for empowerment. This is an example in the, uh, uh, the community engagement in the nuclear health system in Alaska. So the interesting thing here, their mission is working together with the native community to achieve wellness through integration of health and other services. The vision they've got is a native community that enjoys physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. This is another element included here. And the approach is shared responsibility, commitment, quality, and family wellness. So, about financial uh, incentive, uh, I'm not very proud to show this slide here because, uh, because of the bundle payments. I put this slide here because you are uh, talking on bundle payments. And this is an example in the, in the Netherlands uh, that the insurance uh, pay a bundle payment to a principal contracting entity. And the service, uh, in this case, it was in diabetes care, and it was for a fixed period of 365 days. There are other mechanisms that work better than this one. And finally, I'm not going to mention examples on that, but effective ICT systems are important in building the blocks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony. May I take the clicker? Thank you. So as you can see, the International Foundation for Integrated Care has so many resources for us. Very often we go about doing our own literature reviews around what's happening around the world, and we do our own legwork to try and access others. 
if it brings it all together and is an opportunity to help uh, all of us access information and connect up the people around the world who are driving integrated care and learn from each other. So thank you, Tony. My question to you, Tony, is when you look around the globe and you think about partnerships with patients, clients, and caregivers as a way to realize the potential of integrated care, how are we doing? How are we doing? Um, one of the things, um, I would add another question here. So, and this is very relevant for integrated care, are addressing the people's needs instead of putting the priority in the institutional needs. So this is the first thing I'd like to say. And, and one of the things is that um, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to see many, in many agendas, political agendas, that the word person-centered care is there as, as, a, as, as the, 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 main, the main focus. But this is on paper, and we want to see it in, in, in reality. So, um, and this is the challenge we've got. Thank Another you. thing, just, just to say, so there are examples, and then I, I would like to, to, to mention something else, that patient empowerment, patient engagement, and then finally, how do we involve the patient in the co-creation and the co-design in evaluation, in planning, and as deliverers of, uh, of services? Thank you, Tony. For those of you that know the Change Foundation, you know that we believe that to realize the potential of any improvement, you can't do it without the partnership of citizens, people and their families themselves. The same holds true with the way we want to lead uh, IFIC Canada. And then the same holds true for a lot of amazing work that's happening in Ontario. So like anywhere else around the world, we're evolving in our ability to share power and partner together to design the health system of the future that's integrated. In Dufferin and Caledon, in the hills of Headwater, uh, Stacey Dobb is here today, and she's part of the leadership team there, partnering with patients and families to realize the potential of what the community wants to evolve, and that's where I had the opportunity to meet Eileen. Uh, the first time the Change Foundation was invited to convene space to bring people together and share purpose, Eileen was there. And you know, in an, in an instant, we were connected um, and played off each other that whole day as a way to show in the moment, in real time, what partnership looks like. And we're so proud and grateful that you're here today. Eileen. Thank you. Can I get the clip? Yes. You gotta have the power. <laughs> I'd like you to, and I'd like to invite you to close your eyes just for the briefest of moments. And I want you to remember a time when you were a family member with somebody who was ill, whether it was at home scrambling to care for them and the eMERGE, sitting in the chemo suite. Just bring that to mind, that, that experience of being a caregiver. And now what I want you to do is I want you to shift gears to that experience of being a patient yourself. Sometime when you were seeking health care, sometime when you were perhaps feeling vulnerable and uncertain and um, in that place of the unknown. And now I want you to ask yourself, were there any awarenesses that you had from that moment? Was there anything that you realized that you didn't know before? If there was, can I just see a hand go up? Anything you learned from that experience of being a, pair, a caregiver or a patient? Yeah, I see lots of hands go up. Thank you. I can share. <laughs> you know, there are times in our lives when we switch chairs. The people in the room may be students, administrators, healthcare professionals, um, and those are things that you've worked towards very, very hard, and I thank you. But you know what? We're also family members, and we're also patients. I have uh, done an awful lot of switching chairs in my lifetime. I started out as a family member of a healthcare professional, and then I became his caregiver through his death and dying. And then I became the, the healthcare professional myself as I became a hospital chaplain or certified spiritual care professional. I became a family member again, and then I became a patient when seven years ago I was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
and I was bopping around chairs, and in every chair I learned new and distinctive things. Um, but almost four years ago when I was diagnosed with bone meds, my learning really ramped up. I was told I couldn't lift more than 10 pounds. Now you imagine that having a kid in kindergarten and a cat that you can't lift. Just imagine that. And this is for life. I was reeling. And I went out to look for patient education. And uh, I found this beautiful, beautiful brochure that was made. Over 40 healthcare professionals contributed to this. And I looked at it and I said, it doesn't speak to me. It speaks to you dying with bone meds. It doesn't speak to living with bone meds with a five-year-old. And I was disgruntled, and I shoved it away. There were over 40 people, none of whom were identified as patients or family members, by the way, who contributed to this beautiful, beautiful piece of patient education. But it didn't answer the questions that I, as a newly diagnosed patient, had. And I thought, we can do better than this. So I went online and I created a Facebook page, Living with Bone Meds. And within two days, somebody said, where's the closed Facebook code, closed, closed Facebook group? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. That wasn't my plan. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing that. And um, within a few days, I had one set up. And that was two years ago, almost. And there's 1,600 people from all over the world who come to that page. Some who have been diagnosed 5, 10, 15 years ago some who were diagnosed today. What would happen? One of the things I realized when I worked in the hospital is uh, everybody has a, a distinct uh, role and knowledge and function. You know, the patient recovering, nobody else can recover them. Nobody else can take my chemo. Nobody else can sit at the bedside and remember when they were a kid. And if the patient and family could do the things that we as healthcare professionals could do, they wouldn't be there. We are a three-way team, each with unique knowledge, distinct roles, and functions. And don't discount the distinct roles and functions of every single person in the room or at the bedside. So my question to you, what would happen if patients and families were with lived experience, we're full collaborative partners of every phase of the development of research, policy, clinical care, resources, and patient education. Can I tell you that I have submitted my blood samples, my health knowledge, my tissue samples for research, and have literally approached those people to ask for them back for the learnings that they learned and heard nothing, no response. And not only that, not working in a healthcare professional and a healthcare institution, I have to go to a hospital. I have to go and pay to get that journal article that I submitted by Stuffdown to. I'm a little bit savvy, so I got access from my cancer center, but um, not everybody does. You know, sometimes when we don't have all the voices, the knowledge, the people we need at the table, we risk using our resources less wisely. We risk creating things that don't actually fit. And we create less meaningful resources for people. I think of that beautiful brochure and all the money that went in. So what is co-design? This is my personal definition. I didn't get it any from, from anywhere I wrote it up. It's an intention to create a collaborative healthcare system with our shared resources. All, for all of us, because we're all going to be patients or families at some day or the other. Intentionally bringing all sources of expertise, wisdom, and knowledge to the table as early as possible for continued learning, design, and planning. If you remember nothing else from today, I want you to remember this. I am a patient. I am living with metastatic breast cancer. And I am a resource. I am a resource to my family. I am a resource to my peers who are also living the same journey 
I have a resource to my healthcare team. I do actually take journal articles to my oncologist. I am one of those people. Um, but I'm also a resource to my community and my hospital. And you know what? So are you. Each of you are resources too. You are not just students. You are not just healthcare professionals. You are not just administrators. You know how many times I've sat at the bedside of somebody dying and said, you know, doctors are a dime a dozen around here. Can you just be the daughter? Because there's only one daughter kicking around here, and they need you. So, how do we co-design? Um, find the right people for the right fit. And uh, ensure there are multiple ways for people to contribute. There's lots of ways to do this well, not just one. It's not just a committee table. Some people will never show up to a committee table, but they might have a one-on-one -on -one coffee for you. That's still contribution and co-design. Um, even having somebody just read your brochures, somebody who knows nothing about diabetes, reading a brochure, a brochure about diabetes, because I can bet you when people get diagnosed, most of them know nothing about diabetes, and they're like deer in the headlight. Invest in time to build relationships. Stacy spent time building a relationship to me, with me. And in that way, she enabled me to thrive and to make my best contribution as a patient partner and to step up into the unknown. And that matters. Avoid tokenism. It's easy to feel like the only patient at the table to tell your story. And after you've told this big, bad, sad story, you feel like you've just done an emotional striptease. Don't do that to people. We are all patients and family. Tell our stories, not just have them tell theirs. Co-design is not having all of the kinks worked out of a project before you invite a patient or family member to join. And it's also not assuming the most important thing they bring is their story. They bring a wealth of, wealth of knowledge. Use all of it. And hiding behind our professional armor denies our own humanity as healthcare planners, as administrators, as human beings. Bring your life wisdom and be you. So if you want to get started, talk to people, hear their stories, tell your stories, make a path in your organization so they know how to incorporate patients and families into their teams, and acknowledge it's going to be hard. Prepare for patients and staff to work through on a variety of initiatives and, learn their, and ensure there are multiple means of barrier-free contribution for patient partners. I can't always get to a meeting, but I can always talk on the phone or I can always write something. Be flexible. And finally, if you don't know Brene Brown and you don't know the quote she loves from Darren Gradley, go read it. <laughs> it is going to be messy. But do it anyway. Thank you, Anne. Um, what I really appreciate around what Eileen is saying, and we have many uh, caregiver and patient partners in the room today, and what I've learned personally along the way is the idea of taking an, a, a program or a plan for feedback doesn't work. But when we come together to say, how can we solve for this? For instance, if our health system isn't connected across hospitals, primary care, home care, for instance, and clients and their families are experiencing us as separate, if we want to deliver on the promise of one team for patients and families to experience this as one team, we can only solve for that together um, by listening, learning, and partnering to solve for it. And um, thank you for telling us how and why it's so important. What's your best advice for us? Just start talking to people. Just build those relationships and find those people who have a passion for the thing that you are trying to move forward 
and get out of the way of them sharing their passion and participating. Just get out of the way. Don't throw up barriers. And then we didn't discuss this in advance, but you did share with me why today was so important to you. And despite being involved in conferences all over the world many times and submitting abstracts, share with us why today was important to you. You know, this is my happy place. I love sharing what I'm learning, and it's incredibly meaningful for me to translate what I'm learning experientially into something that can benefit somebody else. And so to realize the potential of integrated care, and we talked a lot about the how. The how. You know, in um, health systems around the world, we have learned that the technical solution or the structural reform is not what allows us to realize the potential of integrated care. It is an enabler, but what helps us realize the potential of integrated care is by coming together in shared purpose, working together to solve for the greatest uh, opportunities for improvement. And so now to Walter Watchus. As you know from Walter's uh, CV that is in the uh, pack, Walter is a professor at the Institute for Health Policy Management and Evaluation and a chair of research at the Institute for Better, Better Health. Uh, and what may or may not be as known to you, and I mentioned earlier, is Walter has developed uh, an evolutionary way to understand in a realist uh, type way the evaluation of integrated care. Actually, what's happening at the point of care to realize the potential of working across all of us and at a higher level uh, around how to inform policy and practice and evaluate uh, new innovations in integrated care. And Walter's going to speak to uh, how this conversation relates to Epic Canada and the opportunity in Ontario. Um, wow. Uh, just to stay. Uh, I think with the first two speakers, uh, we have two essential takeaways. Um, one, as, uh, as Tony put it, and I'll use his words there. Um, Advancing integrated population-based uh, care. Uh, well, first, it's international, if not yet a global movement. Uh, and second, that the foundation for this is local. And it's in partnership with patients, family and caregivers, and the healthcare providers. Uh, all in part a few token words here uh, that I think set the stage for Ontario's advancement. Uh, Ontario, I'd say, is at the tipping point. We have a number of these conditions that are right in place. Uh, we've had pilots. We've had numerous little programs uh, in, in various uh, parts of the province. And yet, fundamentally, they've failed to spread and scale across the province. We are not alone in that. And, uh, and I'll mention a couple examples. Uh, just a couple notes of a few bigger initiatives that have been along the way, I think, as we've moved uh, towards this sort of transformational point. I think back to the 1990s and early 2000s, really, actually, mostly in the early 2000s, when we, when we sought to make things more about primary care. Uh, and we had a number of primary care reforms, trying to improve uh, primary care team-based care. And we got about a third of the way there. Other provinces are emulating this. Maybe they'll go further. But we didn't get all the way there. We still have quite a ways to go. Then in the early 2010s, uh, or early 2000s, leading into the 2010s, um, we introduced regional local health integration networks. Uh, and in spite of some of the ideas that might have stemmed from there, what we saw is instead of really deep integration, we saw new transfer agreements and different accountabilities. Uh, not really fundamental change in care delivery uh, at the individual level. Uh, then without legislation, those are legislation points, without legislation we introduced health links a low rules environment intended to really bring care around the individuals with low rules. And well, there weren't enough guidance points. And so I think that it was really with mixed success that we introduced uh, health links. Uh, one of our other programs more recently was the integrated funding model pilot. It was a very small, narrow program, quite much more focused with a lot of supports uh, and a real collaborative community that built around these programs with far more success. A few lessons, perhaps, to be learned. 
Uh, now we have legislation in Ontario that's introducing Ontario health teams. Uh, and it's supposed to really bring primary care, local community organizations, in alliance with hospitals, to develop care around individuals. I think now we're getting a little more local. And I think that's important because it's, healthcare is local. Healthcare is in relationships, healthcare is developed in partnerships. Partnerships with patients, partnerships amongst providers with their patients, and I think not enough attention has been really given to this in partnership with families and caregivers. And that's going to be a real, that's the third leg. And we need to really have that third leg uh, if we're going to move forward. So this puts us, I think, in a place of three big opportunities. Uh, the first opportunity is introduced to us uh, by what Tony mentioned as creating an enabling political environment for health and social care integration. So that's what we're doing here and now in Ontario, creating that vision. I've looked at uh, programs around the world. Uh, much of my work has been supported by the Commonwealth Fund of the United States in this international work. You may know the Commonwealth Fund. They're a group that does international surveys, which we have often looked to to say we're the second worst system in the world. We've looked around the world at exemplars and really learned for where they are advancing integrated care internationally. And we have found that there are nations that have really stepped forward. Scotland has great policy, strong political support, uh, and a lot of structural supports. The Netherlands have a number of individual programs at a primary care level that are really seeking to integrate care amongst particular conditions. We haven't really seen anywhere that has landed a national system, even in small countries where we see integrated care programs in a consistent way across the countries. Uh, Ontario is in a good position to take a leap forward and be leaders in this regard, partly from having set the vision in place that what we're going to do is local integrated care. So let's take advantage of that first opportunity. The second opportunity, Eileen has really clarified, is that the source of excellent care uh, comes from effective engagement and co-design with patients, family and caregivers, and their healthcare providers. I say, um, and if we pay close attention to what really makes integrated care systems person-centered and high-performing, it is that they are patient-centered and engage in co-design at the local level with their clients and their caregivers to design local solutions. Because healthcare is local, as I said, and it's really forged in partnership. Healthcare is not a system that is sought upon people. It is really with people. And as Tony alluded to, most people spend almost all of their lives outside of the healthcare system, even when they're living with chronic conditions. And we are now seeing many more people living with chronic conditions and multiple chronic conditions because we've been very successful at some of the high technology solutions. But the challenge it presents to us is that we now have to help support people in managing and caring for their own selves and in collaboration with the families and caregivers who are as much a part of their care as they are themselves. So that's the second opportunity, uh, is to really improve population health comes by working people. Uh, so we have a policy context, we have exemplars that have gone ahead, and as we step right into this challenge, I challenge you to change the way you think about care design, to change the way we implement programs here in Ontario. And so that's going to bring me to, uh, to my third uh, and final opportunity. One year from now, here in Toronto, we will have the North American Conference for Integrated Care. And when you attend and when you leave that conference, what are you going to want to say? I think you're going to want to say that You've been able to share your experience in implementing integrated care here in Ontario. I think you're going to want to say that you've learned from exemplars across Canada, across North America, and internationally about how they worked with patients, family, and caregivers to co-design care that really makes a difference in people's lives, that makes them healthier, that makes them happier, that makes the providers more engaged in delivering care and not just burnt out. And so I invite you, uh, we'll be launching very soon a call for opportunities for people to uh, submit their own programs from which we will learn across North America and we will highlight at the North American Conference for Integrated Care next October so that when we do come together in a year from now, we'll have that strong opportunity 
So not to miss that opportunity. And I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Walter. We'd love to open it up. It's such a rare opportunity to have uh, the four of us together, or the three panelists, um, and I'm sure, you know, as part of the collective that is going to help us realize the potential of integrated care in Ontario, across Canada, and North America, we welcome your comments and questions. I think we have two mics in the audience. Matt, one, Matt, so please let us know. We'd love if you to have, have any a questions, just raise your hand. We'll start right here with Reza. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much. What I was wondering is, given the fact that some people have highly complex uh, issues that need very specialized care, how do you balance integration with the need for that sort of very specialized expertise that's not going to be local? Uh, so thank you very much, Fraser, for that uh, question. We have to balance. We don't want to stop succeeding. We, are, we have been very successful with very high technology solutions for very complex care cases, and we need to continue to live that, deliver that in very um, complex institutions, uh, which we need to be centralized because they're dealing with fairly rare uh, and quite specialized care. After that initial care is over, people will live and sustain, have sustained care needs in their local environments. They may need that specialized care to come in, but locally they're going to live the rest of their lives after those episodes of care are done. And so that's where I think the balance is, is short, intense, uh, highly specialized care when we need it, and then really localized longitudinal care over the long term. I would say from the patient's perspective, you need to be really intentional about navigating through those pathways with your patients so they know who to call when. Because when it's Sunday evening at 7 and their whole team is down in London and they leave, live someplace else, it gets really confusing and distressing. So that planning pathway is essential. Yes, there's a question. Camille. It's how are you, what's built in to ensure that integrated care, which I fully support, doesn't become a further divide mm -hmm. between classes and haves and have-nots of patients? Mm -hmm. Nothing I've seen or heard mm -hmm. yet talk about and, you know, when we talk about patients, half of GTA, people of color, poor people, mm -hmm. et cetera, what's the design to ensure they're in, um, particularly if we haven't even yet gotten health care to collect this kind of data, where even the police in Toronto is now collecting mm -hmm. this kind of data, so they can be sure mm -hmm. that everybody is getting integrated care. So... So that's my question to all of you. How are you going to ensure that we don't have a wonderful system for those of us in this yeah. room? Thank you. Tony. Um, the experiences around the world, uh, it shows that um, the local and the community where people are based is very important. And then uh, resource certification tools put in place tells you who are the people with higher risks. And if you just get data from the health sector, it's not enough. So what you should do is trying to be very brave and even breaking some rules, trying to get some social economic information to, to be able to tackle the people with the special needs. But this can just be uh, on the paper, on, on the data, on the risk certification site. You have to be proactive on that, trying to go to the communities and where the people with special needs are to find and to give solutions to them. And there are some ex experiences, small initiatives in the world in, towards this, this direction. So one of the things is uh, the issue about health inequalities and health inequalities uh, uh, among uh, background origins, gender, socioeconomic issues, uh, education, all that. So we have to put tools to tackle these differences between the people to work in an equal way. So this is the challenge we've got, but there are uh, places they are working on that, for sure. Alina, Walter, do you want to add to that? I'll just emphasize one point that I think Tony is making, and that is that we are not just moving towards integrated care system. We are moving towards a population-based, person-centered care system. 
And when I say population-based, it means every single person in the population, regardless of whether or not they're currently receiving services. Building on that, though, Camille, we're on an evolutionary journey, and I don't think we're there yet. So I think we are learning how to bring, uh, make this process ensure that it's reflective of every person. And it takes all of us to understand the how, how to do that so we can learn from others around the world, but we can also help inform the how and how we do it here. So thank you for the question. I would also say that it is essential to bring diverse voices to the table because it's easy to have people who look all like me, but that is not the intent and that is a failure if everybody looks like me yeah. at the table from a patient contributor point of view. Yeah. Thank you, Eileen. And we have one more question. Yes. Um, hi. My, my question is, you know, we often refer to the healthcare system uh, as a system. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I don't believe that really is a system. Uh, it hasn't been designed no. to produce outcomes. Yeah. And what worries me a little bit about the way, where I see uh, these initiatives going is that you could end up having 10 different ways of yeah. dealing with a particular type of case as opposed to actually having an evidence-informed mm -hmm. system that's mm -hmm. going to produce a high-quality outcome whether you live in North Bay yeah. or whether you live in the GTA. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm, my question is, how are, you, how are we going to ensure that there is a design at mm -hmm. the top, that there is a system that is going to produce reliable outcomes no matter where you live, no matter what your socioeconomic status, no matter what your language, yeah. no matter what your education, mm -hmm. that you're going to get the same outcome or as mm -hmm. close as possible? Yeah. Thank you. I don't know, but as you were speaking, the thought that came to mind is it doesn't matter where you are, we all need shoes and boots. And one size fits all doesn't. And so it has to be integrated. It has to be contextualized to the people who are going to be needing and using the healthcare systems. And, and yeah, creating all different sizes of boots is a lot more expensive than creating one, but you have a higher satisfaction level. Sorry, maybe that's completely relevant, but that's just what came to mind. I think we need to make sure we have a distinction between clinical outcomes, where we want high standards of clinical care, and uh, what is meaningful to people is not actually that their operation was successful. We want that to be technically successful every time, but we're talking much more about what makes the difference in supporting people in their communities over the long run, and that is highly contextualized. Uh, and success there does not look the same for everybody. Tony, would you add to that? Yeah, I, I think having uh, Walter next to me, and you are collecting uh, case studies, uh, mainly from Canada and, and, and North America, and, and we are doing the same exercise, collecting uh, success stories, or not so successful stories as well, from all over the world. I think this bulk of information from a very small initiative to top-down initiative, it will produce and will give us some knowledge to, in the direction you are saying. So we, uh, it's not just um, having many, many ex different experiences that there is not a global framework. I think there is not a global framework, and may, most probably it's not going to be a global framework because the importance is to contextualize what happens in Ontario, in British Columbia, and even in Toronto. That's different from what happens in Glasgow or in the Highlands or in, in London. So this is something that collecting these this, uh, case studies is important to, to know what are the commonalities, you know, but I think the importance is to be very close to your community and where the people are. And in closing, uh, Jeff Huggins, who leads Health and Social Care Integration for Scotland, was in Ontario recently, and he said something really interesting to answer your question, not an answer, but a part of the discussion. They decided at the Scottish Government to set nine health and well-being goals for the country. And when they divided uh, the country into their version of Ontario teams, they asked them to design their local solutions for how they're going to contribute to the nine health and well-being goals. But the idea of standardization across was prohibiting them from being successful. 
but meeting the needs of local communities with the resources that were in communities, but all working towards common goals, was one of the best ways to realize and create a system of care. Of course, taking into account that the experience and how you reach those goals, we need some commonalities across all. Found that incredibly inspiring. I want to close with a special thanks uh, for having this panel and to all of you for being here. We welcome you to be on this journey with IFIT Canada to come to the conference. And Deanna is at the back. I know you arrived a little late. It's good to see you. Sorry about the GO train. Uh, but Deanna is from KPMG, who is one of the core sponsors, along with the Change Foundation and the University of Toronto for the conference and helping make this possible. Thank you to everyone and uh, to Longwoods and Matt and Rebecca and to Brian and Rosemary from Rotman. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Um, so as they're packing up, our next Breakfast with the Chiefs is November 26 with, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but uh, Kavev Savi, who is the head of global health practice for Accenture, and he will be talking about now and the future of AI. Thank you, and have a good morning.